This morning is the third Sunday of Advent and we'll be going through a three-part series. Jesus as prophet, priest and king, followed by our family nativity service, God willing, next Sunday. So we come to the third of these statements, Jesus as king. We've looked at the first two offices and this morning we come to focus on Jesus as king, probably one of the most appropriate for us to look at at Christmas. We've been in Hebrews for the first two, so we're going to stay in Hebrews as our base text, and then we're going to do a little overview of the scriptures to see what the scriptures from the beginning to the end say about Christ the King. So if you have your Bibles, would you open with me please to Hebrews chapter 10. Um, we're going to read Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read from verse 7. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in the sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declared the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Shall we pray together, folks? Father, we thank you that even though we are distanced this morning, eh, you are present with us. We thank you, Lord, that we can worship together, come before you in prayer, break bread together this morning. And we just ask, Lord, that as your word is open, would you speak to each of us as we reflect that this Christmas period, what it means that Christ is king. Would you speak to our hearts, we pray in your name. Amen. I wonder if about a year and a half ago now you watched any of Meghan Markle and Harry's uh, interview with Oprah. I'm sure lots of us have opinions on those things. I don't really care. I don't really know that much about it. But Victoria was watching it and I walked in. And there was something that I found really interesting uh, that I still remembered. And Meghan hadn't realised that even in private she was to curtsy before the Queen. And she said this. I thought genuinely that was what happens outside. I thought it was part of the fanfare. I didn't think that this is what happened inside. And I said, but it's your grandmother. And he, Harry said, it's the Queen. That was really the first moment that the penny dropped, Meghan recalls. 
For Meghan, there was a moment that the penny dropped that the Queen is the Queen. The Queen isn't the Queen in fanfare outside for those looking in. But actually, the Queen is the Queen also inside. Inside and outside of the public eye, the Queen is the Queen. And this morning, we're going to look at the King that is the King. In every aspect, Jesus is the King. In uh, greater than any earthly monarch we have ever seen or will ever see. But Jesus is the King of the Jews, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And before we jump into Hebrews 10 this morning, I just want to take us to four places as we set the scene for Jesus as King. Two from before his life, one during his life and one after his life. What do we read in scripture about Christ the King? We start with one of the most famous messianic prophecies, the prophecies of the Messiah that was to come that we often read at Christmas time. Zechariah 9 verse 9 and it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteousness and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Secondly, what about Jesus that is promised to Mary by the angel in Luke chapter 1? From verse 32 we read this. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary was going to have a son. And that son will follow the ancestry of King David. He was going to rule and reign and be the king of kings with an everlasting kingdom. You've got to be a pretty important king to have your own kingdom. And how much more important to have an eternal kingdom. But what about Jesus himself? What did Jesus say? When he was confronted towards the end of his life on earth by Pilate. Pilate says to him, so you're the king then? And in a state of utter humiliation, having already been hit um, by the soldiers in front of the governor for punishment. Jesus says this in John 18. You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And fourthly, we come to that short phrase that we find Paul write to Timothy and John write in Revelation. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You see, all of scripture, before, during and after Jesus' earthly ministry, whether by prophets, angelic beings, uh, apostles or all sorts of people that he encountered, Jesus is affirmed as the King Jesus the prophet has spoken, Jesus the priest has acted, and Jesus the king reigns. 
There are two things that I want to look at this morning based in this passage in Hebrews 10. And the first of those are what are some of those things that make Jesus king? Do you know, two people can look at the same object and see completely different things. It's not that the object changes, but it's all about perception. Whether you've got the eyes to see it or not. I wonder when you look at this, what do you see? Do you see a duck or do you see a rabbit? What changes is the way that we look at it. Or what about this one? Is it an old man with a bushy beard or is it a person sitting in a field? Or what about this one? This is probably one of the most well-known ones. Do you see an old lady with a thin mouth or a young girl with a tight black necklace? One picture, two perceptions. Which is kind of what we've got when we come to the pictures of Jesus as king. There's kind of two views that are held that we see of Jesus as king. And that picture is one of this victorious king who will win military battle after battle. Who will bring earthly deliverance from the foreign oppressors just like Moses had done in Egypt. This king built through force and through brute strength. But the reality is that Jesus is completely different to that. He is, if you like, upside down, as is everything that he taught. And only some people see it. Yes, of course, he is the victorious king who brings deliverance. But it's from a much greater oppressor than most people realise. And he's going to do it in the most unexpected way imaginable. So what do we see in this passage? What do we learn about King Jesus? Firstly, in verse 9, we read that he is sent by the Father to do his will. You see this, this sending relationship that the Father and the Son has, it frames Jesus as God's gift for the world. Jesus, of course, is fully God and fully submitted to the will of the Father. He does his desire not of course because Jesus is less than the father that is one of the beautiful mysteries of the trinity but of course scripture is so clear that Jesus is on a rescue mission he is on a I guess a mission of submission that only he could come anywhere close to achieving and it reminds us that in him coming to do the will of the father he is indeed a gift to us and what is a gift? A gift is free to the recipient. Just like Jesus for us. Free to those who would believe. You see that gift is so wonderfully summarised for us in John 3.16. Why did we receive this gift of Jesus? Because God so loved the world. What was the gift? Jesus himself. And what is the result of that gift? That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. We see the Son sent in to come 
and to do the will of the Father. Secondly, in verse 12, we see that he is the perfect sacrifice. Do you know, there isn't much royalty about the birth of Jesus. There isn't much royal about a barn or a stable. There isn't much royal about swaddling cloth and a bunch of animals surrounding you at birth. There certainly isn't um, much royalty about shepherds being some of your first visitors. And you don't read the Christmas story and think, wow, this is a birth fit for a king. And likewise, there isn't much royalty about the death of Jesus either. Matthew 27 tells us that a whole battalion gathered before him. And not a battalion of angels or a battalion of people to worship or to praise him. But a battalion of soldiers to come to mock and to beat him. This king was given a crown. But of course it was a crown of thorns. And he wasn't given a staff. But instead he was given a reed in his right hand that they would use to beat him. They shouted at him, Hail, King of the Jews. Not because they meant it, but because they mocked him. And they spat on him and they struck him. And there was a sign above his head. Never has a truer word been spoken. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Not there because they believed it, but there because they mocked him. There is nothing at all that screams royalty about the birth and the death of Jesus. And this is because our king is different. He's different from King David, the king that is often referenced for us in the Old Testament. He is different from any monarch that we would see in our day and age. But the mission of that king was to be the perfect sacrifice. And Jesus accomplished that mission. And because of that, we also read in verse 12, now he sits at the right hand of the Father. You see, the work of the Levitical priest was never finished. Rivers of blood would flow daily from the temple of Jerusalem as one animal after another after another were sacrificed. They were slain for the sins of the people. And the high priest could just about never sit down because his job was never finished the writer of the Hebrews draws out the contrast of the priesthood of Jesus and him being the sacrifice of all time because for Christ the work has finished and he sat down in fact Christ sat down in the everlasting rest and blessedness at the right hand of God. Our redemption was complete and the work of the priest was finished. And now he dwells where he belongs, at the right hand of the Father. He would not have sat down if his work was not finished. He would not have ceased from his work as the earth, uh, sorry, as the great high priest. Serving and presenting sacrifice if it had not been sufficient. But this king made an offering. 
He made it once and it paid the price. And he reigns victorious, verse 13. Jesus is seen waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Because the work is finished does not mean that Christ is not doing anything. Because Christ still to this day is interceding on our behalf. But he is also waiting patiently for the end people, whoever they may be, whenever the end of time may be. To be saved and trust in him for salvation. And then he is coming in glory. Do you know, he's not sitting there just wringing his hands, just waiting. He hasn't won the victory just to get into heaven and to kick back and relax because his work is finished. But he is continuing to intercede. He is continuing to fight for us. And he is continuing with the same level of care that we see through his spirit that he showed us on earth. The one who cares for the downtrodden and the poor in spirit. Those who mourn and the meek. Those who hunger and those who persecuted. That is who the victory of Christ is for. And we see in verse 16 that this king, this king has the power to make covenants. He is a faithful and he is a powerful king. He is able to make promises and bonds that cannot be broken. This is written for his people. That he is faithful and powerful and all his promises are good and they are true. So what does it all mean? What does it all mean for us that Christ was sent by the Father, that he is the perfect sacrifice, that he sits at the right hand of the Father, is victorious, and through all of that makes promises to us. What does that mean for us? It means three things for us. It means that we are redeemed. You know, Jesus has taken on our sinfulness in exchange for his life. That is redemption. That is how the new covenant happens, through the redemption by his blood. And that perfect sacrifice magnifies the glory of God. And it shows for all of us his greatness. And the Redeemer is now seated on high. It is a once and for all sacrifice that cannot be repeated and cannot be done again. This is the great message of our faith, that faith in Christ plus nothing equals salvation. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for God's glory alone. You see that great prophet, priest, and king is seated. And through that we have a security in the finished work of his atonement. God has accepted the work of Christ in raising Jesus from the dead. And he is seated there with the Father 
we are redeemed. Secondly, we are transformed. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Reminds me of those words in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We are being transformed in Christ's likeness. It's not a be transformed if you want to be. It's not a, a some of my people are being transformed. But there is an expectation that as God's people we are being transformed all the time. And what better way for us to live is though than in the household of the king serving him and worshipping him and loving him as he deserves and thirdly we are forgiven do you know from the most unassuming of places comes the most marvelous and the most miraculous of transformations from the most unassuming place of that stable comes the king of kings because you see, the story of us and God, the story of redemption for us as God's people doesn't start at Christmas. But it starts with God's plan of salvation before the foundations of the earth were laid. But at Christmas it is good for us to stop and reflect on the beauty of God's plan for forgiveness and how it unfolded after all those years of silence. That first Christmas. You see, the message of that first Christmas is very simple. And it is this, that God loves you an awful lot. He loves you enough to give his absolute and very best for you. And he gave his son so that he might call you a son or daughter. That is love. That is the love of a loving king. That is a sacrificial and a genuine love and you know that forgiveness means that in the midst of our imperfection we can look at Christ and we can say you have already perfected me in your sight do you know in our faith we can say Christ today I have sinned but God I hate my sin you've written your law in my heart and I long to do as you command me to do you are working in me what is pleasing to you and so I hate the sin that I still do and I hate the sinful thoughts that I think in my head and in this hatred of sin and this really slow progress that we make in our holiness and our walk as believers we rejoice that according to your promises that we are being perfected for all time by that single offering, your precious self. This is the truth of our faith. It isn't a boast of the strong, but it is the cry of the weak who are in need of a saviour. And I invite you and I urge you to be weak enough to trust in Jesus in that way. In the way that is completely honest with him about your shortcomings and how desperately and utterly you need him. You see, as king, Jesus rules in such a way that he doesn't allow sin to rule over us any longer. 
in the Old Testament, the monarchy was established and it brought peace and prosperity and welfare to a nation. And the prototype for the king was David. There was no king who was ever as beloved as he was. And he was God's ruler among the people. With David on the throne, all of Israel could say, all is well. And it said that David, uh, we read in 2 Samuel 8, that he reigned over all Israel. And David administered justice and equity to all his people. However, our king is far greater than that of David. Christ came in the line of David as David's son, but yet also as David's Lord. Because our God, our King, is the ruler of kings on earth. And the King of kings and the Lord of lords, including over David. And he rules with perfect justice. As our King, he has fought our battles. From the most meagre of beginnings. That baby born in a stable. As prophesied many, many times before, has spoken to his mother and to his father. This king would come and this king would reign. Jesus, the prophet, the sole prophet, the sole prophet who proclaims to us the word of life about salvation. His forgiveness for us. And we have a sole priest who reconciles us by his own body and blood. Christ shed blood on our behalf. And we have a king who exercises complete and just authority over the universe and his church. Christ's authority over us. We have the perfect prophet priest and king who is for us and acts on our behalf and watches over us would we marvel at that this Christmas would we remember that this Christmas and would we come to this season with the with a with expectation that that king will meet with us friends before we gather and break bread together shall we pray Our God and our Father, we thank you for your Son. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that because of you, we can say that there is no longer any offering of sin because your forgiveness is here. We thank you that your Son has offered that sacrifice once and for all. We thank you that we can know you. We can know you intimately and deeply. And we thank you that although you have complete authority over everything in this universe and us as your people, still you love us and you care. We thank you for your goodness to us and your presence here with us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.